0: residential retreats, sometimes you have the group that uh, stay up late, the group that wakes up early. There's a group of us who come early to the virtual meeting. (laughs) It's good to see you. Along with the uh, images of the magic show, the bubbles, the mirage and the foam by the side of the ocean. Uh, There's another fifth uh, image that the Buddha used that uh, I find very um, evocative. Many of you know also that image of the plantain tree trunk or a banana tree trunk. And the Buddha used this image to talk about the mental formation, the stories we tell in our mind. And the way he uses the image, he says, imagine if somebody Some, someone uh, wanted to have hardwood, strong wood to build something. And they went in the forest looking for good wood to build something. And they found a huge banana tree, big leaves, big flowers, big fruits. They would say, oh, my God, you know, the wood in there must be so good wood, hardwood, you know, and they start chopping the banana tree. And what they find inside the tree is, you know, just fiber, no hardwood at all, just it's a herb, it's a big herb, the banana tree, the plantain tree. And in the same way, you know, like it uh, makes its leaves and flowers and fruit, and then it falls to the ground. You know, there is nothing at the core of it. Uh, nothing that you could count on to build something strong. No hardwood. And the Buddha compares the banana tree trunk to our thinking processes. You know, so in meditation, it becomes sometimes very obvious, you know, we're just sitting here and suddenly we imagine something that could happen, you know, turn ugly or, you know, come together in some way and we get totally engrossed and fascinated and it's very, like, it seems like it's so real and, you know, we have that fight with the other or, you know, or we claim something or we fight against something you know only to at some point you know hear the teacher you know like if you've been caught in your thinking you know and suddenly ah banana tree trunk you know there was nothing at the core of it it was made up it was a fiction it was a dreamlike and so in the process of meditation as we stand sit lay here paying attention we might discover this, this process, you know, of uh, believing that there's hardwood and banana trees, you know, and getting really caught in our stories. And it's, uh, it's so easy. So you'll, you sit here and suddenly start thinking about the pandemic, you know, and it's, it's, it's empty at the core because right here now it's, it's a made-up story. That's only what it is. Huh? When you say, "Yeah, but it's out there," but right here now, it would be a concept, conception, conceptualized, conceived story. Yet it can, you know, make the heart contract, the throat contract, you know. And it's really fun, you know. That's why we go to the theater. You know, we want to believe in the, <laughs> you know, for a while that. This is this person and this drama is happening. So there's a, when you know that it's a play, you know, it's, it's good, you know, but when you're confused, deluded, you know, and you think it's real while it's only a drama happening inside, you know, then that's what we call not free, not free. And so the waking up is to wake up to the inner productions, generations of mind, conceiving the magic show, the bubbles, the mirage. And so here we have the chance to sit here and notice maybe if that's happening. You know, you don't have to judge yourself. We don't have to judge ourselves for this. It's natural that it would happen, but we can not be so fooled, 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 duped by it and notice that there's a momentary creation that it might have more lightness than it appears, you know, when we're caught, fascinated, entangled in the story. Okay, let's sit together for maybe a half hour, one moment at a time. Don't try to hold the whole half hour just now, it's too heavy, it's too long. Just this moment, just this moment here. And hear our sensations. the play of sensations. Play of impressions, sound impressions, tactile impressions. And we might notice here and there some mind creation. Projections, me later, me in the past. Who will I be? What was I? You notice some creation of a little me. Wazam will be, our teacher Joseph calls that creation was, I was, am, I am, I will be, was, am, will be, was, am, will be appears. Just notice that it's a creation, there's a narration, a timeline is constructed, an imagination is conceived. Smile at it, compassionately, or playfully. And notice underneath the play of sensations, of impressions. Whatever is felt here now is really felt and is ephemeral, is there only for some time, appeared and will disappear. silence that is there, the sounds, the sensations, the emotion, or the thoughts. As they come into existence, they really are there. Only for a while. appearances. Notice if the mind has created the, the web of its own making and got caught in it. It's very natural that it would do this, create a story and get entangled in it. Notice that it's a creation of mind just now here. It's a story that is told. And then the believing and adhering to the story. See if it's possible, just right here, to renounce that story, that web-making. Sometimes even what seems extremely serious might uh, reveal It's conceived nature just now. Just now it was conceived, created with thoughts. The feelings that come with it. The mind has this capacity to abandon the tangle. fascination for the story. Coming back to our senses. Body here now, breathing, hearing, hands resting somewhere, tingling maybe, warm, cold, Justice Justice. What is now made of? What is the experience just now? Sometimes now is made of uh, fabulation, mind creation. It's good to know if that's the case. It's good to be non-deluded about it, to know. oh, Now there's imagination or breathing. Or ache or benevolence, silence or sounds. Something is happening now that can be known intimately. The living nature of this event can be known, the ephemeral nature of this event passing through this phenomenon can be experienced directly, passing through of a thought, of a sensation. The bell ringing. thank you so seeing 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 I don't know if it's deeper or seeing more clearly or seeing through or or yeah seeing the, the the ephemeral nature of events. Seeing through the the story making. Maybe in order to go back to the story, but not be just caught in that story with that timeline and believing in it in a rigid way, kind of a rigid sense of self, you know, but something that... uh, be loosened up a bit oh yeah that that, there's that story of me where i was where i'm going what i'm worth you know and maybe maybe it's it's not the only vision possible the only it's not the complete and only truth here maybe there's something else at play So I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of um, a question that seems to have been very important to the Buddha before their uh, awakening as a young person, younger person, you know becoming really aware of... Um, the difficulties of being a human being, becoming aware of disease, becoming aware of the fragility of life, of death, becoming aware of uh, you know, aging, becoming aware, of the, becoming aware of uh, yeah, the dukkha of life, the difficulties of life. You know, this important question that arose inside this being, which was something like them, or is it a question or a statement, maybe more I could call it? Something like there must be another way, or is there another way? Is there is there another way to be a human being than what I see around me, you know, of clinging to pleasures and wanting to accumulate them and rejecting hating what is this unpleasant or unwanted and you know shutting down or blaming or attacking or freezing or you know there must be another way to be in relationship with what is beautiful instead of clinging to it and there must be another way than fearing and despising what could go wrong or does go wrong there must be another way to 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 experience the impermanence of things the the you know the, the uncertainty that things could you know that we don't know what's coming exactly there must be another way this this kind of statement or question or intuition is extremely powerful. That's, the, you could say, the beginning of the path. There must be another way than the way I do it or the way I see others do it. And you know, then starting to search the quest to discover the, what, is, what is wise relationship with beauty, richness, meaning, encounters that are you know, nourishing, what is the, the, the wise way to be with loss, the disappearance, the separation that comes with life again and again in big and small ways? and when when I think of this question like or statement or intuition, there must be another way i to be a human being. you know i I, I see a similar question arising uh, in me you, you know is is there another I, I see it in many forms, the same question these days in me is is There must be another way to be queer, you know, or is there what to be, to to, to be very transparent here. And and, uh, to me, these questions arise also around um, the identities that I have that are non-marginalized, that are dominant. Like I'm thinking these days, there must be another way to be white. There must be another way to be white than the way that I've been inheriting, you know, than the way that of, you know, being unconscious of supremacy or, or contributing, uh, you know, keeping a system alive, kind of how it appears to me as passively, you know. There must be another way to be cis than the kind of dominant way that I see being cis. You know? There must be another way that, that is more sensitive to the experience of the other. There must be an, another way to, you know, there must be another way than the model that I've been given of a human being in the you know the say the dominant culture there must be another way and when we have the this question it seems like we can look outside for models of another way that seems wiser that seems so we can look around and see other models of human beings other models of being queer or trans or intersex or bi or you know, that are inspiring, that seems to be, you know, uh, revealing all the potential that, uh, you know, if I look around as a white person, I can find uh, some models, you know, they're rare and far in between of, you know, uh, other models of being white or cis I can look outside and I can also look inside, which seems to be a big part of the Buddhist path. Look inside. What's this other way to be queer? And, and through these practices, what I have discovered from, from myself, and see if you recognize this, if you've been on the path or in the path on the path or you know, or through other means by going inside, there is a lot of intelligence in there. It's, it's hidden, it's, uh, it's hindered or covered, you know. But if we, if we go in there, uh, we can find uh, clarity. There's some clarity that we can find. And that's the kind of archetypal kind of journey of the the one that we call now the Buddha. They went inside to search for the other way. And through paying attention, through paying really close attention, they touched him to a kind of integrity to a unique way to understand life and to live life. You know And I like when uh, I hear either Anushka or I think I'd get that transmission a lot from uh, reading transcendence, transcendence, the anthology the, um, of uh, non-binary, genderqueer and trans uh, authors and Buddhist thinkers, You know, when they, here and there, I hear teachers, thinkers say, you know, that the Buddha is trans, that the Buddha changed their name, changed the way they, you know, what they wear, changed their vision, understanding of life, their lifestyle completely, to be in accord, to align with an inner understanding of what is going on. And so there's this potential in this what looks like nothing, what we were doing here or are doing here this weekend by paying attention and feeling, feeling the sensations, feeling the emotions, you know, and staying in this middle path that Anushka talked so well about, like not going with and not suppressing, but you know, feeling the emotion, being aware of thoughts, not going with, not suppressing the thoughts, but being aware of what shows up in the mind, being aware of what shows up in the body. There's a lot of clarification that can happen. And then, of course, there's going to be transformation in how we perceive, understand, act, speak, you know, maybe in lifestyle, you know, and who we hang out with maybe, you know, or how we do, how we hang out with people. And so for me, um, as a queer person, the gratitude I feel and the way that I've been um, positively uh, impacted by this, these practices is uh, a sense of uh, a stronger and stronger sense of independence. And when I use this term, I'm not referring to the fact that I don't need anybody. It's it's at uh, just at a certain level for a certain aspect of it. Uh, the independence is the by going in and checking in. You know what's happening, what's needed, what's alive, what's uh, clarifying, what's true. There is. Um, more and more in independence and integrity. I don't feel like I need to conform as much as I did in the past, you know, or, you know, internalize the messages that uh, society keeps uh, throwing uh, at me or at us, you know. And so, yeah, some sense of... uh, I like when I've heard this referred to as an inner ethics. This is such a jewel, such a, to know from oneself, for oneself, from the inside, what has value, what has not, what is true, what is not true. To know clearly from the inside this is the kind of independence I'm referring to, to know for oneself uh, and the loyalty, as I heard it that uh, Anushka talks about, the loyalty of, uh, you know, being faithful to these discoveries, this understanding and acting from there. And you know, the Buddha talks about the freedom and unconditional freedom. He talks about finding freedom from, listen to this, that's, that's not, that's really far out. Freedom from disease, old age and death. This is almost like a promise On this path, you can find freedom from disease, old age, and death. Freedom from death. That's a big claim. That's that's not a small thing like, hey, come on the path with me. You can find freedom from death, especially when we understand that there will be disease old age and death. What is meant by freedom from when it's going to happen? It doesn't say it's not going to happen. It talks about the freedom in the midst of freedom in the midst of disease, old age, death. And It seems like in the same way what the path for a queer person is, um, I don't know if it's promising or the potential of it is a freedom from homophobia, transphobia. But in the same way as, I don't know if you follow me here, that there's freedom from disease, old age and death. The freedom that we can find doesn't mean that there's isn't going to be transphobia or homophobia. It means that there is a clarity inside about what views are deluded, what is wholesome, what is helpful, what is liberating, and what is entangling. And such a clarity that there's a freedom found. It doesn't promise that there isn't going to be, you know, outside disease. It doesn't say, hey, when you're awake, there's not going to be disease anymore. It doesn't because the Buddha was awake and had a bad foot and a bad back and sometimes couldn't finish their teaching. You know, cursed, too much pain in the back, but there was a deep understanding of the nature of reality, uncontrollability, conditionality, that there, there is disease and the freedom inside, freedom from maybe expectation that there wouldn't be freedom from hope that there won't be and a deep acceptance. So there must be another way than hating life because it comes with disease, old age, death or intersex phobia or erasure or maybe biphobia in the LGBTQ community or something like this I don't know what name it has but erasure so an independence coming from clarity that can be gained and maybe it takes the manifest through love, self-love love love of what is what is inside of oneself the non-binariness the gender queerness the lesbianism, gayness that is there, deep, deep love or honoring respect for nature as it shows up inside oneself, through oneself, deep maybe pride, I think i don't know if i'm going to be able to explain this one well here but it's worth trying i think also there's a freedom that can come and a clarity that can come and a deep liberating acceptance that can come through understanding the conditionality the conditional nature of things how things are Conditional, the conditions create situation, events. What is there is made of conditions to, is it, to avoid you know hating what is there, to understand that it came to be. like this, you know, that homophobia in society came to be because the conditions are right right now for it to be there. You know, there's a majority of people, they think they're it. They think they're the absolute model, model, (laughs) the, the, uh, you know, the, the measuring unit, you know, they think everything has to be measured by the, their experience, you know, there's this delusion and therefore arises homophobia. It's not like we're not going to do anything about it. Of course, we're going to do something about it. We're going to oppose it. We're going to celebrate who we are. We're going to educate. We're going to protest. We're going to, you know, protect each other. We're going to, you know, support each other. And yet through this, um, Deep listening, deep being deeply attentive to what's happening. The pattern that starts to emerge as we sit and walk and pay attention is that things are conditional, that thoughts arise when the conditions are right. You know, we hear a certain sound and then we start to think, oh, what is this bird? Why is this bird still here? I thought they were leaving earlier. When fall comes, you know, that the thought arose due to condition because of the bird singing. So we we discover conditionality through things that are very, very uh, mundane, very small. You know, we're sitting here, suddenly there's coolness, coldness and we want to cover ourselves. And suddenly we discover that oh, thoughts, intention, intentions arise due to condition. Boredom as a condition for checking out and starting to think about next week. <laughs> it can happen just now, you know? Oh, things are, there's a causality in life. this gathering, you know, is conditional to Zoom, you know, doing its thing right. And I've seen a number of times now, Zoom, you know, crashing and suddenly, oops, community, gone, you know, conditional. I could hate the situation. But when I understand it's there's a causality here. There's a play of cause and effect. Oh yeah, that's how it came to be. Then it seems like the system can relax a bit and get creative. How can I support the conditions for this to stay? Or how can I change the condition for this to fall away, racism, sexism, ableism, Oh, there is confusion, of course, of course, my love. Everything's in order for you to be confused, you know. Earlier today, when we were doing the Q&A a couple of times, you know, the, the um, person I was in conversation with would kind of change queer or disappear, you know, and I would get um, disoriented. You know, and I could have thought, you know, I shouldn't be disoriented, I'm teaching right now, you know. But I was like, oh, disoriented, of course, you know, you're talking to somebody, suddenly they're not there anymore. Of course, disorientation. So understanding causality, you know. Of course, there is fear, ambiguity. Of course, there is you know, unconditional love for oneself, it's not been set up this way by society and family. Okay, like what can we do now to change this self-hatred? You know, of course it's there, it's conditional. All the conditions were, came together for there to be self-judgment, self-hatred. You don't need to hate self-hatred, it's conditional. What condition can be put in place to reduce the harm it does. And so there's a more peace or ease of mind that can come through a deep understanding of conditionality. The things are conditional. Many of the conditions we don't have a say over, Meteorology. But other thing of us, you know, how they perceive us. Another thing that um, has been extremely helpful for me uh, on this path uh, that I wanted to mention is... Um, yeah, I think I'll put it exactly like this as it comes to me as uh, when I was reflecting about it earlier today. I think this... Um, This practice has uh, taught me how to be okay. I'll put it in a very, very wide general sense here, how to be okay with discomfort. But the first way it came to my mind was uh, how to be okay with others' discomfort. You know, discomfort with who I am or my choices or... and it seems to me like it's a big one i don't know how how it feels for you but for me it's something i'm very thankful for that i'm more and more i think through practice okay with uh, And another being, being this uncomfortable because of uh, who I am or yeah, how I behave. I think one of the big, big lessons for me here, they come through um, you know, being HIV positive and, you And know, I learned this, as many of you know, many, many years ago. Can, I don't even know anymore how many years ago, decades for sure. And I remember uh, starting the practice. You know, thank you for this. You know, the, you know how suffering is often the path to there must be another way. You know, for me the you know, the HIV uh, diagnosis and the, all the difficulties around. It, you know, strong AZT side effects and the prospect of dying uh, when there were no uh, not the medication that there is today. Um, and a, a big struggle that I had was uh, was my what my parents were feeling. You know, wanting to save my parents from you know having a a kid that would die before them, and young, and or the shame, you know what? What? What will they say to family, friends? You know. And uh, I'm so thankful to the practice because it learned, it taught me, uh, you know. And again, it's around conditionality. You know that the conditions came together for this disease to be alive in this being and for my parents to have uh, uh, a child, uh, you know, young adult that was, uh, had AIDS at that time. And a deep understanding that, yeah, this is how it unfolded. This is what's happening. That's what's happening for me. I have to take care of my life. And that's what's happening for them. It's their life. They have, they're going through this experience. It's their experience. I can't keep it from them. You know, it's their experience. I'm giving their, them their experience back. I don't have to carry their experience. I'll carry mine. And now I hope they take care of themselves, you know, and I can probably contribute in some ways but it's their experience. I wonder what they'll do with this. You know, there's an amazing potential in there, you know, for, you know, depression and shame and, of course, grief, you know, but also for beauty, you know, for compassion, for, you know, to, yeah. And so I'm talking here about equanimity, a deep understanding that things are as they are. You know, and I can't, it's not mine, it's their experience. So that wasn't the case of that particular situation with my parents. But, and that's the nature of insight is when we understand something deeply, it has the nature of um, being. Uh, I always forget this word. That's uh, the word. It means that understanding, deep understanding of the nature of something in, these, in this situation can spread to understanding in other all other situations or many other situations. Inferential, inferential, I think is the term in English. Oh, people have their own experience of me. It's their experience. They have to take care of their experience. I don't know if you're following me here a bit, you know? Of course, I'm responsible for, you know, what I say, what I put out and in, in, you know, a hundred percent also. But also, uh, you know, others have to take care of themselves. And, you know, if they see me as uh, ugly or not deserving to exist, it's it's talking about them. It's their life. I really wish they take good care of themselves, you know, and they learn to live in a beautiful inner environment, you know? And so I don't know how I'm doing on this talk, but to me, it's all so related, you know? I'm like, oh, here, back to independence, conditionality, uh, equanimity. Okay. Okay. There is maybe marginalization. Okay. Okay, there is disease. Okay. I'll take it on. Bring it. We'll work with it. Can't uh, have it not be there. Can't control the disappearance of uh, homophobia. But I can certainly contribute in some ways, you know, and affirm who I am, you know, in some ways, and honor and celebrate. Maybe I'll finish here with just another thing that... uh, it's again, uh, experian- experimental here. I'm trying to put something into words. It's kind of percolating. It's coming from things heard in, in her life, in her research. In, uh, in this practice, there is something that is not very well known these days, uh, particular practices around, uh, around um, around the, the gathering of the mind instead of the scattering of the mind. Uh, Anushka talked about collect, collectedness, I think, of mind. Sometimes we use the word concentration. So collecting the mind, gathering the mind. Uh, and that we've been doing this here, saying, hey, instead of being in stories of past and future and caught in all kinds of uh, considerations, could we gather the attention in here, in this body or sensory awareness or... You know, can we stay here, gather the mind here, collect the mind and remain here? And so in this uh, lineage, in the Buddhist practice, there's a, kind of, uh, there's a kind of practice that is called the nimitta. It's a Pali word where, in one way, what it refers to is a, 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 a practice of concentration where you take, a, let's say, a, a disk, It's a round physical thing of color and you would focus on it. Look at it, look at it, look at it, like almost become absorbed by it. And you would close your eyes and see it exactly the same inside and let it grow and grow and get the mind totally absorbed by a color, white, blue. It could be an element, you know, like fire or something like this. And uh, the nimitta refers to the inner sign when we're absorbed, fascinated by by something. Uh, you know, I remember many years ago uh, on a retreat with us, uh, Park Sayada, a very respected uh, monk, at the Forest Refuge, just to, next to IMS, the Insight Meditation Society in Massachusetts. I, was, I had the chance to, for a couple of months, to do these practices uh, guided by Park Sayada, where it would say, you know, like in the med hall, when you sit, there's somebody in front of you. If you sit in the back, you know, there'll be other uh, retreatants sitting in front of you, or there'll be even myself sitting in front uh, of the hall, you know. And what I want you to do is look at the back of somebody in front of you at the back of their head and imagine their skull and imagine their skull white, very, very white and just stay there and just imagine their skull, just imagine their skull and at some point close your eyes, keep imagining the skull until there's a kind of a zoom in and suddenly everything becomes white, just white, just white, just no more, am I doing it right? Where will I be? Where was I? You know? where suddenly, uh, you know, agitation can fall away. The scatteredness of the mind going in all direction and suddenly there's just white, hanging in white, white, white. It could be another color, but in this case, uh, you know, this was the the color. And uh, that talks about uh, absorption, how the mind can be absorbed. And... Through hearing uh, Ajahn Suchito, another respected uh, teacher of this tradition, there was a kind of a pointing out that was very revealing to me. It's interesting. Let's say that I'm talking to you about my practice these days, what I'm interested in currently. After 25 years of practice these days, you know, that's the field of research for me. The... um, Ajahn Suchito was pointing to how we get easily absorbed by different nimitta. They might not be the color white or blue or the fire element, but it might be for us, see if it's true for you. Sometimes it's the nimitta of lack. I will see lack, what's not there, what I want. The nimitta of desire, I want this, I want this. And the mind has a capacity to get absorbed, fascinated, you know, by, you know, for me, for example, I see it very easily. If there's a TV going on somewhere, like I go visit my parents and often there's the TV. Like I lose track of the conversation. Like I'm easily fascinated by a TV, maybe because I don't own one or I don't know what, but if there's a TV in in my frame, you know, like I often get absorbed like this. And it seems like practice has helped me you know, direct my attention towards wholesome nimittas, wholesome symbols, wholesome themes. Do you follow me? Instead of lack or desire, you know, desire like projecting. When I get this, I'll be so happy. Everything will be in order. When I finally get, I don't know, this body, this other person, this situation, this recognition, you know, it doesn't exist. It's a made-up thing, you know. I'm absorbed by it because when I get it, it's probably going to be, you know, not certain, not permanent, not stable, you know, not as satisfying as it looked on Tinder, you know. And so the practice is teaching me to, you know, be interested by different themes than the themes I used to be interested in. Maybe it was self-hatred, you know, I was my Nimita, my my symbol, my theme was how I'm a piece of shit. You know, and my senses and my psyche become a radar to prove this right. Look again. Et voila, it just dropped this thing. It shows that you can, Cannot hold even a glass, <laughs> Or look at this—you just said this thing; it's hurtful. Et voila—we prove that you're unable to use speech wisely, you know, etc. And so that was the way my mind would get absorbed, you know, by seeing this or seeing that. And the t- the, the practice is showing me maybe that I can get interested. By wholesome things. Benevolence. Where are the opportunities for benevolence? Where is benevolence alive in society, in others, in moments? Where is it showing up, you know, when I jog around the park, you know, instead of being looking for trouble, you know, that my mind can, you know, turn towards wholesome themes, get interested and recognize where is peace? Where is calm? Where could it be found? Where is honoring? Where is considering? Where can considering exist, arise, be alive? Where can I notice it where it's there, offered by somebody else in the meeting room? Or where can I invite it? Or can we make it stay alive here in this relationship? And so thank you to my teachers and practice. There's a kind of a switch of value that is happening that I notice. You know, before I was really interested in making up, making stories, making trouble. I think I was really genuinely, (laughs) consciously maybe, or or sometimes very consciously. Let me me listen here and find trouble. Find a way even to hurt. You know, let me see if I can find a way here to hurt just a little, you know, not too hard, like, So that the person won't be able to exactly complain, you know, just a little something to pierce slightly, you know. And with practice, that's called cruelty, by the way. I hope you want to talk to me after I just (laughs) said that. This is years ago. But suddenly, like losing, renunciating, renouncing interest for that theme, you know? And turning around, like, you know, I can watch news and be very interesting by, interested by the theme of becoming uh, insulted and upset, you know, by the news, you know? But now I can see. I'm actually watching the news and it's starting to change. I want to see wisdom. I want to see how I can stay calm and honest and caring and have clarity, you know, discernment, not be stupid. That's not what I'm talking about, but not get activated. You know, how can, how can I do this and see more clearly, have more clear intentions come out of this instead of hatred or agitation? So these are practices for me, how to reorient, the interest or what is cultivated. And I find this very, very useful, very liberating, you know, wholesome, helpful way to live as a, maybe as a white, cis male, as a gay man, as a queer person, as I encounter others I hope there was a little something in there for you, you know, that could, uh, even if it, you know, you have clarity about the opposite. Something I said, you know, just made this very clear. <laughs> it's, I, I don't agree with this, you know. Let's take a moment here just to let the words uh, dissolve and see what's alive. Some of the things I tried to touch on was independence, inner ethics, integrity, being developed through practice. Talked about um, expanding the capacity for discomfort. Discomfort. Might be okay, might be important sometimes. My discomfort or others' discomfort. And being met with equanimity, balance of mind. Not trying to avoid it. Touched on conditionality, cause and effect everything that happens is conditional, how this understanding can be helpful. Talked about uh, reorienting, reorienting the themes, what's of interest for us how we get absorbed, what we gather around. May we all find our way through this human life. May we all find ways to not harm ourselves and each other to support ourselves and each other and to experience freedom in the midst of things as they are individually and collectively Thank you very, very much. Conditions were such that this is what happened just now. This is how it went. And how can we keep this care going, this quality of presence alive, connection with reality? until we meet again for the closing of the retreat in an hour and a half. Okay. Let's keep this alive in our own, maybe, unique way. Thank you.